What does it take to become an elite 40K player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Hello and welcome to Art of War Unbroken. Champions may lose, but their spirits remain unbroken. I'm your host, as always, Blake Law. This is actually episode 58 of the podcast. If you listen to last week's, it was 57. I was lying. We are very happy you're able to join us today. They say we learned the most from our losses, and that's exactly what this show aims to do. We are interviewing an elite player who has lost one to two games at a major event. We're going to break down mistakes they possibly made, may or not have made, and we're going to see how they plan to move forward from those losses. How often have you blamed the game on bad dice? I do it. Brad does it. Everyone does it. Not even in 40K. In all things in life, dice. We are headed back to the Maryland Open, where we are once again diving deep into the games that were played there. We are talking about Harlequins playing into our beloved Tau. So this is technically another Tau episode, so I guess buckle in for that. (laughs) But this is part one of the episode. In this part, we'll be analyzing the game, talking about common mistakes, the secondaries that the player chose, and the target priority. In part two, we'll be going into all the other stuff, the strategy adjustments, the list adjustments, how their list plays in your list, my list, Brad's list, every list out there. We're going to be talking about all the things and all the stuff, and don't forget the elite player mindset. I, my co-host today, I mentioned it last week, but I really want to bring it home. He wants one a championship of the world of pogs with a single slammer and a single pog to bring home the 1985 World Series. I am, of course, talking about my good friend and co-host, Mr. Brad Chester. I do want to mention Brad won Rocky Talk Open this year and the Maryland Open recently. He's won some team events. We're not going to go into it. Brad, what do you got to say for yourself? I am going to be the team champion of the universe. I will do full team domination. I have a quick question for you, though. What was your favorite pog back in the day? What was your trusty pog? The slammer. What, what would the slammer have on it? I mean, the, the you know, there are all varieties of pogs out there, man. Let's be honest. I was like 50 when pogs started. I have no idea what pogs are. <laughs> you were, you were, dude, you were like in the prime. You were in prime time when pogs were out. I was still out of high school. You were so old. Pogs were out. You didn't play pogs. I miss pogs. My youth was like past pogs and your youth was before pogs. So there's a real gap there. I just want people to notice that. Our guest today has been playing on and off since 1999. Most recently, he finished 13th place at the Maryland Open. I think of note that his first super major, his loss, was only to Mr. Richard Siegler, which to me is quite the feat. He's getting back into the tournament scene post-pandemic. He is a massive Eldar enthusiast, Mr. Michael Butler. Hey, guys. What's going on? I feel like Blake's starting to pick guests based on how easy their names are to say. I know. I've I've been on a hot streak. Can't get much easier, I guess, huh? Yeah, Ganyo and me. Yeah, I know. Nice two-syllable names. I like it. Ganyo was probably the hardest name that I chose in like the last two months. I've really just been slam dunking like some Joneses and some Bill Butlers. Bill Smith. They just yeah. rocking this out. I've been, I've been demolishing it. We need to go back to our regular scheduled programming of you butchering someone with like five consonants in a row and you have no idea how to say it. That's when my favorite. some more UK people there. I feel like with the UK <laughs> Names. I just murdered their names, and I felt so guilty afterwards, but uh, they were pretty cool. There's some tough names out there. My buddy Sasha has a crazy last name. I still 
struggle to pronounce it to this day. So. Literally everyone calls Sasha Sasha, let's be honest. Yeah, that's, Sasha that's, that's, that's why no one can pronounce his last name. I don't even think he can. I think I think I got his name right. I think that was one of the hard ones that I nailed. That's it, impressive. It is funny because I think Sasha might be the only Sasha that we know in 40K, though. Yeah, everyone knows it's, Sasha. It's that easy. It's just, hey, it's Sasha. Sasha's on my team for ATC. I just want to say he's on your team. Yeah. He's the man. So. Yeah. He's got quality stuff. <laughs> Let's talk about our event. Let's talk about things. Let's rock and jock. I do want to say I've never met you, Michael, but I mm-hmm. follow a lot of our Art of War comments threads, and he's co- constantly talking Harlequin. So I've learned everything uh, I know based on just looking at his stuff. So that is true. I've been playing like um, Eldar on off, like all forms of pointy ear space elves for literally twenty years ish. Like all Harlequins, all Eldar craft worlds, regarded. Just that's all I like. I just run with it. I enjoy it. Who's and more of a pointy ear king? Is it you or Brad? Uh, probably Brad. He has a little mm. bit more OG status. I'm getting I'm, uh, up there. The, the only thing is, OG. I'm OG on my Eldar, but I'm also willing to abandon them at a moment's notice if something's better, I feel. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I just suffer in silence, and I'll be like, oh, I'll just do the best I can with them, whatever. I just enjoy I am it. ADD about my armies also. I can only play an army for so long before I need to play something else. A lot yeah. of times it's elf to elf, though. You're the you're the Eldar OG Eldar player. You're also, I guess, the OG like marbles player. Is that like the predecessor to Pogs? Like your your game was marbles, marbles. I guess, right? Yeah, I did. I'm the king of marbles, bro. Marbles. You can't even stop me. Side tournament of marbles at ATC. I got it. We're doing it. But let's talk about this event. So the Maryland Open. We just had Ganyo on. We talked to Brad a little bit about it. What was your take on uh, the Maryland Open? Uh, well, Maryland Open was a six game super major down at Tables and Towers. If you're not familiar with the store. It is um, probably one of the, if not the best, one of the best game stores in probably the world. Like, it's at least the best I've ever been to. They have so much table space. They hold events very well. Good staff. Everything's run pretty good. It's just all in all, it's a great store. And I would recommend if you're in the area, the Maryland area, or you just want to travel to the East Coast for a GT, it's just it's a really good time. Great store, great terrain. Good dudes there. The, the competition at the store slash events or it's always very high this is a large concentration of very good players and like i would say the east coast in general but at that store in particular it's really for challenging games of 40k it's great they did some things different like usually we don't play player play strain like my area is all like nova open style we're very based on that whatever nova does we would and they're going to be doing gw open terrain so i've been practicing primarily on that this this event was my first real experience with player place terrain and since like 2005 when competitive 40k used to use player place terrain back it is, in the day. It is funny because I was about to ask you that because I didn't know what Nova was actually going to be using this game. This it year. is, yeah. I don't know. I didn't mean to spoil it, but yeah, it's 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 supposedly using GW Open. That's what I was told. Wait, what? Nova's using player place or GW? GW Open is what I was told. Oh, bro, I mean, wow. it's buddy. Brant's baby, bro, and Brant is yeah. like a GW boy, so correct. That makes me very happy. So that was a little bit different. They also did, um, there's one super piece of terrain that just blocked everything, which was weird. It blocks knights. <laughs> Typically, I don't have much experience with something of that nature. That's more like WTC. They have those big L's in the middle that kind of block Mortarian and stuff. So that's, that was um, interesting to me. The glass uh, houses were more of the thing that was different. That, uh, yeah, I was about to talk to that too. You just touch a terrain piece minus the super piece, and you see pretty much a uh, large majority of the table so it definitely favors armies that have like high octane firepower, right? Something like Tau or Crackroll Belvar to some extent, like you could just touch it, shoot out with everything, then do your fire and fade back and stuff like that, using obscuring to your advantage. So there was a couple things that were different. 
the event and they did um not battle points or random pairings they did like um opposing win percentage which i thought was interesting but i'm not really i really haven't seen it i think i like random pairings personally some people think there's an issue with submarining i don't know if it's real i know some people have done it but if you just do random pairings it, you know it still gives battle points some meaning and then like you can't game the system because it's like you're going to play anyone in your bracket no matter what yeah. so you just Shuck try and win just win shuck had a good point at that he said use battle points but just make it so that you can't see the battle points. So that's, oh, that's, you can't that's game it. Right. That's a great idea. Yeah. We were talking, Matt and uh, Ganya, we were all, you know, we were all hanging out, Brad, at the table talking about just everything. All in all, I think it was, it wasn't bad, but it could be refined. I just think you do random parries, hide the battle points, like, and it'll be good. I do want to mention that uh, every time Tables and Towers is mentioned on this podcast, Anthony Birdsong owes me $250 because uh, <laughs> we've had such positive oh, experience. It's Everyone comes on here and is like, it's the best store ever. You should go buy a bunch of stuff from there. I'm like, yep, cha-ching, cash register. It's, it's funny because he just messaged me too. <laughs> it is It is actually a fantastic, like, no talk. Not This isn't even me just propping it up because, like, it's not my local store. I, I live, like, three hours away. It's just an amazing store. Like, it was well, like... If I drove, if they were doing like a test day or something, like, hey, we're going to do tournament prep test day, I would drive the three hours to go in there because it was that good. They also have stream rooms. If you're riding the top tables for much of the event, you get a lot more space and you got the stream tables. It's just, a, it's a good atmosphere. You know what I mean? It was cool to hang out in there and be at the top two rooms pretty much the entire event. And you get some great games, good dudes. I like the store. I nice. can't speak high enough of it. Yeah. That's great. Birdsong, take notice, man. That's like 500 bucks from this episode. So, <laughs> <laughs> Mike, tell me a little bit about what you were running for the event. All right. Well, I was running Harlequin. So I guess you could say it's like a generic good stuff Harlequin build where because I used every unit in the book. Me and my buddy Jarrett, he actually came in second. I think you played him in the finals, actually, Brad. Played him in the finals, yeah. Yeah. He's really good. And we've been talking Harlequins and stuff like that. We've been refining like a light list. He's been doing very, very well. And mine was a little bit different than his, just based on personal preferences. I prefer a little bit more of the jank, uh, but ultimately they were very close. So we start off the list with everyone's favorite troop master. He had a uh, foot to the future player of the light. And then he has the Kegarax Rose, which is just really money. So he can get to a good break point of strength six, moderately decent AP, high flat damage. And um, he goes really far. He had a fusion pistol, too, in case I needed it in a pinch. And he's just good at doing, like, assassination runs or picking on Tyranid Monsters creatures or stuff like that. Because at the time, we didn't have Nephilim yet. So you're, you're really planning on playing Eldar, Tyranid's Tau, right? And he's great into the Tyranid matchup and the Eldar matchup in particular. Because he had the Queen of Shards or whatever it's called where you ignore Involves on the rolls of five or greater. So you can fish for them to assassinate Farseers or get through Hive Tyrant and Vulnerable States and stuff of that nature. Uh, I took a, that guy's just a monster, dude. He is. He suffers in the armor of contempt a little bit, which I'll, I'll, I could touch on a, later. Yeah. But That's something I was going to say. I definitely want to hear more of your strategies on this guy when we talk about that a little bit later. That This guy has a lot of play around him, and I feel like people need to know what he does. Absolutely. And there's little things you can do with him to make him even better. Uh, just to touch on it real quick, I did it versus Tyranids in round three. I played a Forgetting his name off the top of my head. Great player. We, this, we were both 2-0 at the time, playing Leviathanids. And I'm just spamming Curtain Falls on my Troop Master because it's Harlequin Infantry. So I'm like, all right, I'll go fight you, do 12 wounds, pop back in my boat, and I'm safe. And I'm going to do this all game because why not? There's other little things you can do that I'll talk Like, because um, you're using light, you have the light fall back when you're charged stratagem. So some people try and charge them. If they want to do like an assassination run, you can do your normal move and embark in a boat. And he's gone. Boom. You know, like little stuff like that. You can do that with your infantry too. 
there's just a lot of little trickery with Harlequins that like a really good player can utilize to really make someone have a lot of like feels bad moments in the game. Obviously, I tell everyone like, hey, this is what this does. Throw a move at the start of the game. But, you know, sometimes throughout the game, people just go for things. Going back through the list, I have the Shadows here. I took um, Fog of Dreams specifically for the Tau matchup. Uh, gives you the six up feel no pain aura. This is really good for all your six wound boats. Tau have a lot of flat three damage weaponry. So if I pass one six up feel no pain on six wounds, it takes an extra flat three damage to kill a boat, which is actually substantial. And then you had Mirror of Mines. Everyone takes that. And then you had a relic for Eye of the Laughing God to give me some play into like Thousand Suns and stuff like that. It gives me the feel no pain versus mortal wounds. It's very good because Harlequins are very susceptible to mortal wounds in general. Fairly high invulnerable save, low wound count. So, like, about six wounds, right? Yeah, it's 95 points. You're roughly 20 points per wound almost. So losing a wound, 20 points of a wound to a smite feels really bad. So I wanted to mitigate that as much as possible. Uh, going on, I have my token solitaire. That dude is always money. You can always find a way to get a good value out of him. I did Death Jester. This is where some of the jank comes in. He had Rift Ghoul. And then the Suit of Hidden Knives, which actually was a, an MVP. I'm sad that I can't have it in the future. But man, so good. Suit Hidden Knives. Would we'll you say that's your it. MVP of the oh, whole thing? He just does stuff. <laughs> no one knows. Like, he just, like, lives in situations where he shouldn't live. And then, like, I'm like, here's three mortal wounds on top of the other mortal wounds I did. Oh, your character's dead. Oh, your mouse scepter's dead. Because I just did seven mortals. And they're like, oh, I didn't think that Death Chester would do that. You know? He just overperformed with his melee capability. So I really liked him in, in previous packs. And then I took, um, this is where... Some people keep all their troops uniform. I actually split my melee weapons up a little bit. I ran five units of troops. This is where it gets a little breakdown. Every unit had two narrows and then two fusion pistols because you're light, so you want to get as much shooting as you can. And then three units had kiss embrace so that they could utilize the mortal wounds on six strat and the embrace impact hit. And then two units had caress embrace because you can't stack caress and kiss, obviously. So they were there in case I played Eldar, other Harlequins that gave me some ignore invulnerable save access on a couple of my units. So that's a nice little hidden tech choice. It gave me some diversity to kind of cater to different meta matchups, which I liked. Uh, next up, I took a five-man naked troop squad. They were just action caddies slash, you know, sit around, do nothing. Virtuous of the webway to redeploy Phantasm, etc. They were just a good utility action unit. I took six transports. In case I needed to start the other unit in there. My five-man squad actually had two fusion pistols, too. In case I was playing knights, I wanted to have 13 fusions in the list. I took a two-man Skyweaver unit with bolas and shuriken cannons. They were awesome. And then uh, a unit of three Void Reavers. So rounds it out like that. Every unit in the book just got to execute. You know? I like the list a lot, actually. I like your style. Yeah. Let's look, let's look at what you played against here. Mr. Nox's right. list. We had some Tau. Mm -hmm. It was actually Tau Sisiya. Yes, it was. Yeah. Crisis Commander. Exemplar of the Montcar. Basically, every gun that they have, <laughs> Ethereal, of course, 10 crew, two crisis suit units of five, cyclic plasma fusion, cyclic plasma plasma on the two squads, respectively, two piranhas solo, and then we've got another patrol here, so we can get another commander, so got a, another unit of crew hounds, so two crew hounds, an enforcer commander for that obsequious mojo, he's running the thermoneutronic death flamer, and the precision of the hunter for full rerolls, and double cyclonic, then we've got two more crisis battlesuit units, but only three guys in each one of these, uh, these one battle suit and then one bodyguard. So we've got first cannon cyclic and then cyclic and plasma. And then we've got a six-man Pathfinder unit and a six-man Vespid unit. So we were playing, what mission is this? 
It was a hammer and anvil deployment, if I recall correctly, off the top of my head. It was a five-objective mission. I'm trying to remember the name. I can't remember off the top of my head. Were we playing? Was it bombs? No. I don't no. think it was bombs. I don't remember what we were playing, to be honest. I don't remember. Five objectives, hammer and anvil. Before we start, I do want to say that uh, I like this guy's style. Double Piranha. That's uh... The Double Piranha was very cool. He had, I think he had something that could pass out, like, OPSEC to, like, Random units. I don't know if it was the enforcer. It's or the, well, the Cecilia commander has the That's it. for it. Ah. Yeah, so that was really cool. So I had to keep that in my mind the entire time. I was like, man, he could just apparently you can use it like on almost like a, any unit with your boiler tray or whatever. So I was worried about like an offset piranha flying through and being like, aha, you know, that could have been yeah, scary. It's a nice play. Upset it's piranha. actually really cool. I actually liked that because um, I think the trade up top of my head, if I remember correctly, it's like minus one to hit if you're or something like that, right? That's Cecilia's trait. Yeah, they, uh, I got to look at say. I'm not going to lie. I, all I remember from Cecilia most of the time is they can make things obsec. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> I know that. Usually I play against Tau Scepter Farslight on Clive, so this was very new to me. But his list was really good. Yeah, it was, you know, ended up losing the game by two points. So it was very close. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your, your strategy and your secondary picks and stuff like that. Yeah. And- all right, so my strategy for this game is, well, it's player place terrain, right? So it's Tal. It could be a... I actually think Harlequins match up into Tal kind of poorly. Not poorly, but I think it's slightly Tal-favored. And this is basically dependent on a couple issues. Terrain is one. Do you get the first terrain drop? So I, I needed to try... I knew he was probably going to take, like, Tidalast, because that's what every Tal player does. They do, like, Tidalast, R&D, and another one, right? I don't remember what third or secondary he picked. I know it was Tidalast R&D. It's either Strangle or Tau Strangle. I think he took Strangle, but that's what it was. I forgot it existed because I wrote it out of my brain. (laughs) I took Stranglehold myself because it was a five-objective mission. If you don't take Stranglehold, you're not playing the game. I took uh, Retrieve Knockman data, and then I took Deadly Performance. Because Deadly Performance... Or no, I actually took No Prisoners, actually, because if you don't kill suits, you don't win the game. Usually I take Deadly Performance almost auto, but in this game... I knew he was going to take Tidal List, so I took, and he has a bunch of battle suits. So naturally, just from playing the game, you're going to score it. And if you don't kill battle suits anyway, you just lose. So sure, I sure. figured it was a good, uh, good, good secondary choice there. Usually, deadly performance is aces, though. Basic strategy of the game was I was hoping to. I mean, this is out of my control. I was hoping I could put a big fat ruin in the middle of the board. That would have made my life really easy. But I had to kind of figure like, all right, he's going to win the role for terrain, which he did. So he placed the forest, which kind of had to adapt my strategy on the fly. So I'm trying to play a very cagey game, have him get rid of all these throwaway units and try and force suits to come out so I can actually shoot them because he he's going to win the passive board state. So I needed to do a little bit more to get him out, bait him out. So I deployed pretty conservatively. We set up all the player place terrain. It was the mission where you can move the objectives, actually. Because I remember now, because we placed all the terrain so that you could... 33. Yeah. yeah. So we couldn't actually the name move of that the one? objectives. Priority targets? Uh, it's, it's yeah, I placed it, and then he placed <laughs> his terrain very cleverly where he couldn't move the terrain. You know, neither none of, none of us could really move the objective in any favorable way. So he did a good job with that. Uh, but like I said, basic plan, I was hoping, I knew we had Stranglehold, I knew it R&D, so I'm screening out, I want to bleed out his screens, and then try and get damage on suits at some point. He, I determined he's going to win the passive board state, and he had a lot more screen, like he had the piranhas, he had more expendable stuff than I did. He could throw four hounds on there, he could throw a piranha on there, he could throw crude on there, he could throw four more hounds on there, he could throw the vest, but I was like, I'm losing this piecemeal game, because like, eventually, like, I just start running, my units cost more than his, right? I need to do something to make up for the differential points. So I actually threw my Void Reavers up. 
I put him on the far right flank, as far away, because he had some crisis suits on the left flank and then crisis suits on the right flank. He didn't keep him in one brick, which I actually think was a mistake because um, I was able to capitalize on it a little bit. So if he was to strike and fade, it would have brought his unit outside of safety. So I could have capitalized on it with my entire army. He ended up not taking the bait with the second crisis unit. The other unit came up, shot, and strike and fade it back. But they didn't really kill any boys because I got feel no pain off, which I planned just for the town matchup. He ended up crippling, not crippling, but almost killing a void, one full unit of crisis suits. So this was actually a good in for me into the game because then I advanced up the right flank, shot his suits. Consequently, I only killed five drones with an entire Void Reaver unit and Blade Storm. Mm. Yeah, that's the way that, you know, dice, he pays some good involves and stuff like that. But it happens, you know. I got rid of the drones. The next turn, I was able to finish them off, which was cool. So now I'm starting to win the grinding down war. I could remove one unit of suits. It's two to last. Commanders are coming down. We're both screening meticulously at this point because I don't want his... Uh, he reserved um, some battle suits, and I believe the best fit. So I don't want him dropping in for easy R&D. I have my naked unit, which I did virtuoso to force him to screen. So he had to actually take space up and force him to do something as opposed to just turtling for no reason. What does Virtuoso do again? Is that the one where you pull your unit up? Yeah, you, you can place any Harlequin unit in strategic reserves. This is actually like, the, it's so clutch because now you could, I'm using a very cheap unit, 75 points, and I'm forcing you to screen or you're giving me four points. Right. So it really puts the pressure on the opponent. They could ignore it and give you points and then I'm happy. Do they drop in next turn? Is that how it works? Is it like the... doesn't have to be next turn, but... You obviously have to do it before the game ends. Phenomenal stratagem. You should probably, if you play Harlequin so you don't use it, you're, you should use it. Like, real talk. <laughs> it's just that. Good. Real talk. It is. Just real talk. I can't even tell you in words. It, just use it, please. Just it, There's so many little <laughs> cheeky things you can do with it. Like, it's, it's phenomenal. So eventually I get through that flank, and then he brings his reserve crisis units in to deal with the voids. He starts to come out because now I'm winning because I disrupted his board state. Now he's down five points, right? So now he storms out. He's bringing everything out. It ended up coming down to a couple of, like I said, I lost by two points. We get through the game. It's very tight back and forth. He's not really able to get into my back line. And I'm finally starting to force him out. He's kind of screened out one of my corners for R&D. And I just couldn't get back there with all the trash and stuff of that nature. So I, I had to come in, unfortunately. I was running out of stuff. He's just killing stuff with his very, very strong shooting phase. He took Kalyon, too. So he started to really ramp up as the game kept going on. Yeah, it's hard. And I couldn't bad touch him to make him fall back and shoot. Or he can fall back and shoot because of Kalyon. So he was starting to ramp up in power really, really hard. And I was like, all right, I got to you know keep him on the back foot here. I killed one of his titles. A big key mistake was on turn four. He had to, he's moving up with his enforcer suits, and then he had his five man, one of his five man to the last crisis suits. I get out my three characters, Death Jester, Solitaire, and Troopmaster, and then I decide I'm going all in on the crisis unit. In my head, I was thinking that, all right, I could cripple the crisis unit, and that'll be really good. And he pops the um, minus two. I charge the Troopmaster first. He does the uh, minus two to charge strat, which is fine. I was expecting that's why I'm charging the Troopmaster first. In hindsight, I should have did a dual charge. Because they were both next to each other, right? Uh, since the crisis aren't really a threat in combat, so this would have baited out the stratagem on a unit, and then I should have charged all my characters into his fort enforcer in hindsight. Because charging the the crisis unit was a little further, so it was a little bit of a further charge for my other characters who don't get plus six to charge. The solitaire ended up failing a rerollable six, but he would have made it into the enforcer, who is a little bit closer. So in hindsight, that wasted me a CP. So now I'm down to one CP instead of two. 
The Jester makes it in, but he rolled really low with the minus two. The Enforcer is able to heroically intervene into him, and he gets gimmed. So if I made a little bit of a different micro decision there, and just I was worried about like the, the Enforcer is like a beast, it's a tank. He's minus one damage. Were, were they both next to each other at that point in time? They were fairly close, but with the angle I was on, the Enforcer was a shorter charge. I was just, but my my question was is because with a could you make him equidistant? Basically declare the enforcer and the others, you know, and then consolidate when you make your pilot move, uh take him out of the combat. Now the enforcer was definitely closer to the other two <clears> characters, <throat> unfortunately. Just the way with the because we were doing the <clears throat> the five objective mission. They came from a little bit more on the right side. They were on the left flank. So that was a little closer, unfortunately. But I like I, I thought about it after the game. During the time I thought it was the right choice because I was all right, they have the feel no pain. But whatever, I'll cripple the crisis unit. End up not crippling the crisis unit because the solitaire failed. The troopmaster killed, overkilled one suit because he passed just enough field no pains to take three wounds to get through to one. And the jester got heroic dawn because um, unfortunately I couldn't because I rolled so low on my charge. There's no way I could engage the unit without being in heroic range with how he was positioned. Because I rolled, I, I just rolled bad charges, unfortunately. Um, but that's not the reason that this play didn't work. It's because I made a suboptimal play, and I should have just went for the enforcer, even though he's a little tankier. I would have had three characters in. I didn't have to waste a CP on a charge reroll, and I could have popped fight on death on whatever character he killed, essentially killing his second to the last and that commander. Oh, for sure. If he's the to the last at that point in time, yeah, he was the to the last as well. So if the, his two to last were the two five man suits and the enforcer. So I should have just went for him instead. Uh, consequently, like, so that didn't go well. I was called back into it and then it was very close. Um, I had a couple last turn shooting phases. There was one suit left and, or no, there's two suits left at the time. I spent a CP on a neurodisruptor reroll so that my fusions could hit the final suit. I roll a, a two into a one, so it misses. And then none of the fusions did anything either. And then I do like a mass charge into a suit on the final turn and it lives at one wound. So a little bit of, um, different CP management in particular could have maybe made the difference. Or just so like two things. I could have charged the enforcer, three characters in fight on death probably kills it, you know, or the solid maybe he attacks the solitaire and he lives because three plus plus. Um and that's a three point win for you right there. Yeah, if if I just killed the commander or the last suit with one wound, I win. Yeah. Um I mean I could have said like, ah, I charged ten troop into one suit, they should have killed it. And like, okay, that's true. It happens. But like if I didn't spend the CP on the neuro disruptor reroll, I would have had CP for uh, Harlequin's embrace. I could have did impact mortals, and I have five chances to roll a four plus to kill the last suit. You know what I mean? But I thought it was more important at the time. I was like, oh, if I could do this last wound, I could fusion him and I'll win. You know? But in hindsight, it was a little greedy. And then the previous little microplay, like it seemed better to charge the crisis bomb, but it was better to charge the tougher enforcer because I would have had all my characters in it. I would have saved CP because I wouldn't have need the charge reroll. So in five. And five victory points right there is the bigger thing. I'd say. Yeah, it, it would have got me more new prisoners and five more points. I lost by two, so that would have put me up yeah. um, by by four. So, like I said, it's a really tight game. It's back and forth. Um, I had to play a little differently because he won passive board state. I'm not used. Usually, I don't lose the passive state with my Harlequins because I could play like deadly performance or behind enemy lines and stuff like that. I just score for moving and playing the game. But now I played a really good game. I <laughs> you know, made a couple mistakes and. If I played a little bit better, I think it, you know, I, I know so, like, unless I rolled, you know, it's a dice or dice, but that would have maximized my chances to mm-hmm. succeed. So over the course of the weekend, who would you say is your MVP? You already answered it. And, you already uh, came and, and asked. And you already know, answered but it. But he didn't say who's on the chopping block. Yeah, so you can ask that. I'll give you, I was giving you half of it. 
All right. Well, <laughs> uh, it's funny. Like I love the suit of hidden knives guy, but the je- the death jester is actually the model on my list that's on the chopping block, and that's because of the new CP changes. I can't afford to give him the suit of hidden knives anymore, which really made him more useful to me. Because the shooting was fairly mediocre throughout the event, it was his combat that was really pulling his weight. Because people really disrespect his combat, and then people disrespect Harlequin's ability to survive things they shouldn't. They always un- a lot of people will undercommit to your army, and then you use your minus your minus one to hit. Then you have involved. So like, all right, I'm gonna oh, I should kill you if I do three attacks or flat three or four attacks flat four. You know, like, and then you pass three of. Three or four inbounds, and you're like, oh, cool. Here's three mortal wounds on you, baby. And then it's my turn. I'm going to fall back, shoot you, charge you again. Oh, there's five more mortal wounds. Oh, I just did ten mortals to you. And like little things like that. Players always undercommit to Harlequins because it perhaps be spiky, you know? Commit to it. But he's on the chopping block, unfortunately. So he's the MVP and the chopping block? Because it, yes. I know. Oh my <laughs> gosh. First time ever. First, time. First, I love that model. But because of the Nephilim changes, I can't run him that way anymore. That's the problem. I'm literally crying a single tear right now. It's just beautiful. It's like <laughs> it's so sad. Yeah, it's like seeing like a uh, what, what would be the equivalent, like the the perfect snowflake or something. You're just like, oh my god, it's so beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, I love that relic. It it gets people like no one suspects it just to be like a mortal machine that he was. But see, I need CP. I need two CP or I can't play. Yeah, that's you know? that's gonna that's gonna cause a lot of armies some issues. Actually, when you look at it, you know, six CP is not very much. A lot of these armies no. that are running a ton of relics and things like that to survive, like, ooh, good luck. It's gonna be a right. real struggle. Yeah, he's like, it is, it is tough. So I had three relics on the list. I had Rose, Sudafin, and Knives, and I have the Laughing God. And I value Rose and I have the Laughing God more than the suit. It, they're just really good. I, you can't go into a tournament without mortal wound protection. I don't want to lose to Thousand Sons just because I matched into them. It's just not good. Yeah. And then you need Rose. It's Rose is better than Sudi. Just oh, 10 out of 10 so times. Good. Yeah, you can't not take it. Sudi with Thousand Knives is probably one of my top five coolest relic names, though, in the game. So it's, It definitely wins the top prize of coolest relic name, in my opinion. And it's just fun. Brad, what is your top relic name? Sorry to, to completely digress here, but I have to know Brad's top relic oh, name. Oh, dude, it's it's all the freaking corn ones because every one of them's like Wrath Rigor and Destructor. And like, oh, it's like and, Slaughter Wagon or something. Yeah, like. and every yeah. single corn relic is amazing in, in its name. You're like, it's the, the killer of souls, crusher of dreams. You're like, what's it do? Uh, it's strength plus two AP3. <laughs> <laughs> They do have corn names. I haven't right. seen a corn relic in ages, though, so there's that. You know what my favorite relic name of all time is, though. Is it a relic? It's, uh, yeah, it is. It's Resmecca's Retta Paint. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100% well, the best do have cool names, actually. All right, maybe Suits only top five. There's some cool work ones. Yeah, there's, there's, some, sweet ones, yeah. there's some sweet ones. But, all right, Michael, what else you got for us? Any, anything else you want to talk about on the game? Uh, that game, no. I mean, um, like I said, mostly... There's a couple small micro decisions. Some things could have went my way. They didn't. But if I ultimately, if I just play better, I think it's a, it's a solid win. So yeah. Yeah. Are you ready for the Bradening, the Brad hour, the mad Brad hour? I'm always ready for the Bradening. Brad is a fun time. (laughs) Well, you got to buckle in and join us for part two, everybody, because we're going to really get into this list. We're going to talk about, I want to talk about that. um, Troop master. I think he's an interesting character and I think people need to know how to watch out for him. So I will love to talk about the troop master for as long as possible. Cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. Join us for part deuce.
Yay! Make sure to check out our other podcasts. We have The Art of War Vanilla with Nick Nanavati and Paul Murphy. We have the very, very, very Australian Art of War Down Under with the late and great Adam Camilleri. We, of course, are The Art of War Pistachio. This late <laughs> didn't know you loved until you tried us. Thanks for listening to Winsor Part 2. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com. <laughs>